But today we get to get stuck into the Word of God together. And uh, I want to say two words that uh, I think many of us can relate to, words called buyer's remorse. And no, I'm not speaking Afrikaans and declaring what happened with the lion's defense. That was a buyer remorse. But this is buyer's remorse. Buyer's remorse. And buyer's remorse, uh, if you're unaware, is that feeling you get when you've been duped. When you've bought in, you've spent way more money than you thought you would on something that had a lot of shine, a lot of appeal at the shops, but you get home and you go, instant regret. Why did I do that? Why have I emptied my bank account for that, for that, for that new item of clothing, for that new car, for that new MLM product? Just saying. You know, buyer's remorse. You see, I'm from Zimbabwe, so uh, they raise us cheap. So I don't often get duped into those type of sales. You know, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm good at avoiding those ones. But where they do get me is on cheap food. When I see a, a meal that is, is advertised as something cheap, I'm like, I'm there. I'm there. I'm just hungry. I'm just ready to go. And, and it reminded me of a, a time years ago when there was this athlete in Durban that ran this special of um, 120 rand for a kg of steak, 500 grams of chips, and a 500 milliliter Coke. And if you could eat it in 45 minutes, free. That was their pitch. And we were like, there was a whole group of us at that time. We were like, this is amazing. It happened on Thursdays. And, and we were like, we just worked out. We said for the next Thursday, for the rest of our lives, as long as this promotion will run, we'll eat free. We're going to take these guys to the cleaners. And myself and a friend of mine, we pitched up on the first, night, first Wednesday, uh, Thursday. We just demolished. It was just, it was like carnage. We just, we, we left there. The champs are here. We just were so pumped. We we're like, you know, walking out there, money, money, money. Because we had just, we had thought we had cracked the coded life. We, you know, we ignored the fact that the, the meat was a little bit tender and cheap. You know, a little rough. Ugh. And the, the, the chips were a little bit lukewarm. And that Coke was, had been shaken a few times. We ignored the fact that the food wasn't great. It was free because we had eaten in 45 minutes. But the next week, something different was in the air. Something was different in the atmosphere. We arrived, but maybe we're a little bit arrogant, a little bit cocksure of ourselves. And we walked in and we were high-fiving the waiters. And as we walked in going, well, you're not getting any tip today, guys. We're eating for free. We even left the wallets in the car. But something was a bit wrong, and I, and, I, and I was able to sense this, and I decided, actually, I'm going to abstain from this, this eating experience today. But my other friend, I'm going to put all my money on him. I know he's going to eat, and he's going to do it. And, uh, and this friend started to eat, and he started to go, and we were cheering him on as the clock was ticking down, and he was hitting a rapid pace. But when it got to minute 35, 36, he started to slow down a little bit. And we were like, what, what's happening? Last week, this was done in 20 minutes. We were ready to go to the next course. We were ready. But 35, 36 minutes, this was struggling now. And then the, 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 the eating and the chewing became more and more labored as the, the, the time started to get less and less. And now we were like, you've got a little bit of chips left. You've got to push, this, push these in. And as the time got to 44, 45 minutes, he put the last little bit of chip in him, but now he was looking very green. And, when, and we were like, that, that, that meat that was looking so good in the poster wasn't feeling so good down in the stomach. And it started to curdle in there. And as the time was about to go, we're like, hold it down, hold it down. He, he put his hand to his mouth and one chip slow motion came out of his mouth and landed on me across the table and me with the weakest stomach. I hadn't eaten anything, but I saw this happen and I went green instantly. And what followed was, and I, I'm so sorry this is so early in the morning, was, uh, it, was, it was like a bloodbath. It was vomiting everywhere in that restaurant. We were running out of that restaurant, vomiting to and fro, and, uh, and this was chaos. This was chaos. Welcome to church. I uh, hope you're enjoying your brand flakes this morning. Um, but 
I want to tell you what buyer's remorse felt like in that moment was us wiping off the, the, the leftovers of, of the KG steak 500 gram chips and the 500 milliliter uh, uh, Coke of, of one another and then going to an ATM and withdrawing money and more than we needed to pay to go and make sure that we would pay a huge tip to those who had to clean up our mess. That is what buyer's remorse feels like in that moment. And I think that's the sort of idea of what I'm trying to help us in this, this morning because I, 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 we've been reading through the book of Proverbs and there's this, there's this one proverb in particular that is going to an extreme length to try and remind us as Christ followers, as sons and daughters of the living God, not to have buyer's remorse. And it's Proverbs chapter 5. And Proverbs chapter 5 is one of those notorious Proverbs. And I want to read 14 verses of it. Solomon's writing this to his sons. And he's, reminding, he's trying to tell them about the pitfalls of life and about the immoral woman, the adulteress who is calling and trying to, and, trying to and, and puts on this beautiful front. But there's so much pain and cost on the back end of it. And I want to help us understand that today. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 1 starts off like this. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen carefully to my wise counsel. Then you will show discernment and your lips will express what you've learned. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave for she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. If you do, you'll lose your honor and will lose to merciless people all you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth and someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you'll groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You'll say, oh, how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin. Now I must face public disgrace. Really encouraging 14 verses of scripture. But uh, there's... Some words in there that's almost the, the hinge part of it that grabbed my attention that I've underlined several times is this word that's nestled in there that says, but in the end, but in the end, and it appears again in Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. It leads to death. And, I, and I'm reading this, and, I, and maybe all of you are going, yeah, yeah, Gabe, speak, you know, the, the, the men, this is for the men, you know, about the adulterous woman. And, and yes, we can go down that path, but I want to tell you that, that the specific word when, when Solomon talks about this adulterous woman, I believe it's not just a person, it is a spirit personified. And Jesus talks about it, and in, in when he speaks, and we'll read the scripture now, he talks about us living in an adulterous and sinful age, an adulterous and sinful generation. And it's, I believe there's a seductive spirit in the world these days that is selling us with things up front, pleasures and, and promises that they can never fulfill. And people are being duped left, right, and center and are being dragged away to death. And I want to help us say the reality of this because we are in a spiritual war. And maybe we've been so numbed by the Netflix uh, binge queue. We've been so numbed with lockdowns and with staying at home and, and being safe and let's be sanitized and secluded. And, we, and it's all that sort of language, but we've forgotten that this is actually a spiritual war 
that has been fought on a spiritual front. We are not fighting against people. We are not fighting against politics and policies. We are fighting against powers and principalities. And we have to recognize this today. I want us to recognize because today I want you to, I want to get you to your end. I want to get me to my end before we get to the, but in the end. I want to help us today. You see, that's how the world works. The spirit of the age works. It loads the front end of so much promises. It reels you in on that bait. And, and on the back end, the true cost is revealed. Only on the true and the back end, buyer's remorse sets in. But in the end, my eyes are opened. What have I done? When actually we look at Jesus and the way he works, true wisdom, as, as the, 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 Bible, the biblical writers call Jesus, true wisdom, wisdom personified, he does it almost on the other way. He tells you the cost up front. And as you, if you, you and I are willing to pay the cost up front, he says the reward comes later. But in the end, that is how I work. You see, the wisdom of God is completely at odds to that of the world. And I, when I read Jesus' words, it's almost like he's trying to talk us out of following him. I don't know about you, but as I read the gospel, it's the total opposite. The world tried to paint a beautiful picture. If you buy today, delayed payments, don't worry, it's going to be amazing. When Jesus says, no, it's going to be really hard. It's almost at odds of the wisdom of the world. You see, the Bible says this, wide is the path that leads to death, but narrow, but narrow is the path that leads to life, and few find it. Few find it. Today, I want us to find it. Let's read what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 38. It will appear on the screen below me as I, as I read it. Jesus speaking says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, if any of you wants to be my disciple, you must give up on your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. But in the end... Is the title of what I'm preaching today. Why don't you put that in the chat? But in the end, we want to preach this to our hearts. Father, I thank you as your word comes. Would you convict us? Would you challenge us? Would you awaken us? Would you bring us to our senses to what means, to of what true life, true, truly living means? I pray, Father God, today that yes, wide and is the road that leads to death, but narrow is the path that leads to life and few find it. But God, I pray for us as a church today, would we find the path that leads to life? And would we choose to walk in it? Yeah. Open our ears so that we are hearing you, Father. And give us quick hearts to obey. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Three things that I see from Jesus as he, in a sense, almost presents this, the cost, this huge cost up front to you and I. And on the back end, loads the blessings on the back end of this. I want to tell us three things that this text leaps out of me that are the antithesis of the spirit of this age. Is number one, a newfound desire. I love how Jesus says to this crowd, he says, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he's, he's painting a picture of desire, of great desire, saying there has to be the stirring in our hearts to pursue him. 
You see, our own desires lead us astray. We are people who I think it feels like this. We are, we've got unrestrained desires. We want more of this and more of that. And that's what the shop fronts and that's what uh, products are trying to sell us. That's what Netflix shows are trying to sell us. They're trying to play on this thing that you were not easily satisfied and trying to pull you into more and more and more. And Jesus said, I want to tell you about your true desires. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory said this way, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but rather too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased." There has to be this new, newfound desire, a newfound state of desire in our hearts for the things of God. And I want to awaken you and fan into flame my own heart that's too easily satisfied with normal, too easily satisfied with, with the seductive pleasures of this world that, that in the end never give promise, give, uh, produce what they have promised, never result in what they've promised. They, they, they drag me in to death, but I never f- seem to find fulfillment. I'm preaching to you as much as to myself today because actually I think I've become too settled and too happy happy in my lukewarm passive existence. And, and, and something inside of me is almost like, yeah, I'm okay with that. And I, and, I, and I shake my head in dismay because, you see, one of the greatest dangers is when our heart is lukewarm, apathetic towards our hunger, our true hunger. I, I love it. I've been reading in the book of Exodus where Moses comes to Pharaoh during the plagues, and the plagues are raining down uh, um, fire and brimstone and frogs and gnats and, and livestock falling down and, and crippling an economy. And, and Moses comes to Pharaoh. If you go read it, Moses says to Pharaoh, I can pray and stop this now. Do you want me to do it? And Pharaoh says, mm, Yes, please, but do it tomorrow. And I'm like, What an idiot! What a fool! As the book of Proverbs would call them, a fool, somebody who's somebody so content with actually, I'm okay with the fact they're frogs. I don't like it, but I'm actually okay. You can only, you can stop it tomorrow. And I go, what a fool, but I go, that's me so often, that I'm so content in my sin, in my passivity, in my, um, my being obtuse about following Jesus with everything. I'm like, and he's and like, someone says, actually, there can be a newfound desire if you lay hold of it today. It's a cost, but it'll lead to life if you lay hold of him. And I go, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. Isn't that most of the church around the world? You see, I had a cup of coffee the other day. Someone came and graciously dropped it off. Uh, one of those really nice coffees, you know, where they put a little bit of extra vanilla in. You know, it's really good. This is one of those oh, really fancy coffees. But I, I, I received a phone call at the same time. So by the time I came to that cup of coffee, it was at best lukewarm. And yet I, I was so... I knew that the price, I knew that for coffee was so a little bit more expensive, so I made sure that I drank it all. I can't tell you I enjoyed it. I can't tell you that it was the best cup of coffee I had, but I drank it, and I was satisfied because that's what I thought I, all I had. And as I was doing that, I was just reminded, and these are scriptures, this is the Bible, this is not my opinion, this is the Bible that's speaking to us and needs to arouse us from our slumber. In the book of Revelations, uh, the, the, the angel of the Lord is telling the church, the church, the church. Not the world out there, but the church saying you were neither hot nor cold. You were lukewarm, so I spat you out of my mouth. This is Jesus, true wisdom speaking to you and I, and I want him to awaken a new desire in us because the Bible tells us that so often we've said safety. We say comfort, comfort, comfort. You know, we've got to do that. And in Jeremiah, they talk about peace, peace, peace. And Jeremiah says, I will not say peace, peace, peace when there is no peace. 
And yet we get, we so crave that meme, we so crave that little bit of comfort, and we almost get this God that comes and placates us, a God of our own imagination that will placate us in our lukewarm living. He won't do it. He will not placate you while you are slumbering in your, in your sickness, in your sin, in your apathy. He says, if you want to be my disciple, a new desire has to spring up in your heart. Because you see, many will say in the last days, in the end, many will say, Lord, Lord, but didn't I know you? Didn't I do these things for you? And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, wicked and lazy servant. Don't get angry with the preacher. These are just Jesus' words today. You see, this is so huge for you and I. There was a man named the rich young ruler who came to Jesus with a, a desire, some half-baked, half-fashioned desire, I want to follow you, and says, let, 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 me, come, let me come after you. And, and Jesus says this incredible thing to him, says, yeah, that's great, but I don't want just the half of you, I want all of you. Give everything you have away to the poor, and then come follow me. And the Bible says these haunting words. It says, that young man, a rich young ruler who had everything in this age, who had taken the bait on this side of the world but was not prepared to pay the cost on the other side, had by his remorse and says that he went away sad. He went away sad. And I just wondered, so many of us, I think in the world, that what is being revealed right now, that God is fanning to flame the true church and saying, true church, will a new sense of desire, a, f- a burning passion for my name start to rise up above everything else, above even the, the safety of COVID, the safety of a vaccine, even of what is the next future. Actually, no, I want him at any cost. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. But in the end, I want him. And I, I pray that it starts to grip our hearts at this time. But I want to tell you this, but in the end, desire is not enough. But in the end, desire is not enough. You see, Jesus moves on, and he says this. He says, if anyone wants to come follow me, he must deny himself. There needs to be a new sense of denial, a new sense of denial that needs to take hold of our hearts. I love Jesus' preaching. He says this, if you want to follow me, You must, you must, you must, you must deny yourself. This is not a secondary thing. This is not for the super elite, for those who are fervent Christians, you know, those ones. No, 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 no. I think something has taken hold of our Christianity walk. We feel that's for the elite, but I want to be the, in the, the second rate. I'm happy being the second rate Christian, you know, where I don't have to deny myself too much. I'm happy with Jesus on my own terms. That's not what Jesus says to us here. The preachers and wisdom of the world are these days saying, self-denial? No, self-esteem. Let me tell you how amazing you are. Jesus says, no, you're not. Deny yourself. Maybe we would write it this way. We'd say, Jesus, we've almost rewritten Jesus' words. If anyone desires to come after me, let him improve his self-esteem, fill his life with comfort and with everything that makes him happy. Or maybe this is even better the new way to pray, the new type of Christianity these days, if we were honest, if we're, and I'm concluding myself, if I'm honest with the way that I think we would pray, if we were truly knowing what we meant, we'd pray this, my true self who art inside me, humanism, humanism is thy name, my happiness come, my pleasure be done in my life as I see it on Instagram. Give me today everything my heart can dream of and forgive me for ever thinking of others. Lead us not into repentance, but deliver us from true Christianity. Thank you very much. I wrote that myself. And yet, I think it is not too far from the truth. 
if I'm honest, what is the, the deep motivation of my, my, my heart. And yet I read John chapter 3 about a man named John the Baptist and this, this rhetoric that almost seems so old-fashioned. It seems like, no, that's, but that's not the type of Christianity I want. He says this. He says, he must increase. I must decrease. You want to know the recipe for laying a hold of all that God has? He must become more. You must become less. You see, the, I love it. The Bible says that, and, the, and the, the Amplified Version says, I must decrease. says, I must become less and less and less and less. It's almost this increasing. He must be increasing in greatness. He must become larger and larger. And the journey of Christ in the following is you becoming less and less and less and less and less. It's not a one-time thing. It's now every day choosing, I must become less. If you want a joyful marriage, become less. This is... Good preaching, you see, because in Galatians 5 verse 17, it says, the flesh wars against the spirit. And I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like because there's so many times the desire for God has risen up inside me. I want you more. And yet the next step of denial does not kick in because as soon as this desire goes, I want you more, the flesh goes, no, you want comfort. No, you want happiness. No, you want you at the center. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I can't give up myself. Let me tell you how we actually become less. It starts with getting a higher view of God. A higher view of God. Dorothy Sayers said this. She said, we have made Jesus into little more than a domesticated house cat with clip nails when he in truth is the lion of Judah, never, never tamed by man. Titus puts it this way, he says, and this is why I feel so often about my own life, I'm honest, and the Christianity across the world as I look at it from a distance, it's this line that haunts me, it says, we've had a form of godliness, but we deny its power. Wow. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And I think it's, that's what we, we've bought into something. I, I want a desire for it, but I don't know if I want to pay the price for it. Jesus himself faced this in the, in the desert when the, the, the Satan came to him and said, actually, turn these stones into bread. And he said, why don't you bow down to me and I'll give you all this. You know, he was trying to reel him in by front-loading the pleasure, but saying that the cost will come later. But take the bait, take the bait. And Jesus resolutely in the desert refuses to take the bait. He refuses to take it for short-term pleasure. For you know, he's saying, I'm giving up the short-term pleasure for long-term joy. And maybe this is the, the word that I need to give you. You know, I've been up early and I've been praying. And I, and I felt it strongly for some people to, to rouse us from our sleep, rouse us from our slumber. As Solomon was writing, my son, pay attention to my words. Before you face your end, you've got to get to the end of yourself. Here's the word from God for you. Maybe you're here, sir, ma'am, you've been watching this and you've been entertaining de private DMs for way too long and it's spinning out of control. Maybe you've convinced yourself that your porn pornography addiction isn't really hurting anybody, and it's only natural. Maybe you've been contemplating that affair, and you've been umming ahhing about it, and you're on the edge of going for it, and you're going, ah, you know, but it's, you know, it's, it's been so glamorized on, on social media, and on the, in the media. Maybe you've been lying about that finance, and you're just thinking you can keep it under control. Here is a word from heaven for you. Stop it! That's it. Stop it. End it. Confess it. Be done with it. This is God's mercy to you and me today. Enough is enough. Deny yourself. Oh, but the cost is too great if I bring that into light. Let me tell you, the cost will be too great if you keep it hidden. But in the end, 
But in the end, we got to get to the end of ourselves before the end finds us. You must, you must, you must deny yourself. Desire, but in the end, that's not enough. Denial, but in the end, that also is not enough. You see, Jesus continues, he says, you must deny yourself. And he goes on, he says, take up their cross and follow me. Take up their cross and follow me. As I said earlier, Jesus isn't, doesn't look like he's looking for fans. <laughs> I, I, I just sometimes, I look at the way the world seems to preach Jesus and the way that my, my emotions want to preach Jesus, wants to encourage, hey, this is who he's amazing, just fit him in when you can. And the way Jesus preaches Jesus, they seem at odds. I do not think that Jesus would have a lot of followers on Instagram if he was alive today. Not with the way he preaches, because we don't like it. It doesn't fit in with our paradigm. You see, I, I almost feel like, I can always imagine the disciples at odds going, Jesus, why don't you soften up your message? You know, tell a joke up front. Let me, let me help you. I'm a PR guy. Let me help you, Jesus. Offer them free coffees up front. Do the old bait and switch. Get them in with some soft, soft, soft stories, and then at the end, boom. But he goes, no, I don't do that. He said, no, no, I don't do that. I put the cost up front so they know when they're picking it up. But I, I want true joys on the other side of that. True life's on the other side of that. And this is the incredible thing. I love it. Jesus said these things. He kept, this is what Jesus said. Somebody came and said, I want to follow you, Jesus. I'll go anywhere. And Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Translated, you may be homeless if you follow me. That's a great Instagram post. Boom, you may be homeless, Jesus. I'm going to share. I'm going to share that one. No. Jesus gives another one. Another guy came and said, listen, my dad's just died. My family have just died, and I want to come follow you, but let me bury them first, please. Can I go and attend the funeral? And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. That is hardcore. That is like so, I'm like, you are, that is so unpastoral, Jesus. Let me help you. No, no, Jesus goes, no. Jesus says it again and again, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. If you don't do those, you can have no part of me. And I've said this before, but this was way before twilight and making, eating flesh and drinking blood cool. This was weird. This is cannibalism on, on steroids in, in the eyes of the people. And Jesus said, no, if you don't do this, you can have no part of me. This is what Jesus is calling his people to. You know, when he says the words, take up your cross, when he says that, it was before he went to the cross, before he had redeemed the cross as a symbol of forgiveness and mercy that we wear around our necks and put on our buildings. The cross was only a symbol of torture of the criminals. So when he says, if you're going to take up your cross, it would have jarred people. It would have been a jarring illustration. Like, wow, that's so jarring. Couldn't you have said that with keys in the background? That would have been much nicer. Just like, soften it. No. You see, when he says, take up your cross, it means four things. Take up your cross, you're being willing to be opposed. Are you willing to be opposed on my behalf? Secondly, are you willing to face the shame on my behalf? It's, an Ill, it's a symbol of shame. Are you willing to suffer on my behalf? And ultimately, are you willing to die for me? That's what he's saying when he says, take up your cross. It's not some, let's not euphemize it, make it, it's some small, tough cha task I need to do. No, no, no. This is, are you willing to die for me? <laughs> this is the gospel. You see, even John the Baptist, who I quoted earlier, who had this incredible line, I must decrease, he must increase. You see, in Luke chapter 7, he gets increased. You see, in Luke chapter, thrown into prison for, the, for preaching against the, the, the adulterous, sinful spirit of the age. 
He gets, he gets thrown in prison for that and has his head almost, he is about to get his head chopped off for believing these things. And even in that moment, he has a moment of crisis where he sends his disciples to life for preaching these things. Are you really the one, Jesus? Are you really the one? And I love it because Jesus sends word back to him and says, tell John in prison this, tell him that the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, lepers are cured, deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, good news is being preached to the poor, and tell him God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. This is so hardcore that Jesus quotes to John a scripture that John would have known from Isaiah, a scripture, but he stops short because the one part that he leaves out is, and the prisoners are being set free. John would have known that. So Jesus is basically saying, John, I am the Messiah, and you are going to die in prison for me. I'm not coming to rescue you. Wow, the cost up front. But the joy forever is on the other side of that. You see, this is the thing I want to tell you today. They, we, the whole way through the Gospels, they expected the powerful, conquering Messiah to ride in. They expected that Jesus to walk in on their expectations. The Jesus that would come in with the title, this is how much I'm going to bring life and joy. Yay! Bring on that Jesus. Take on the Romans. I want that Jesus. They expected a king covered in gold. They expected a king surrounded by royalty. They expected a king that political leaders would bow down to. But they got a king who was born in a manger surrounded by animals. They expected that king, but all they got was a baby from Nazareth. They expected a king of glory, but they got a one. All they got was a savior. In the end, all they got was a bloodied, beaten, suffering Messiah. And nobody wanted that. Everyone left him at that point. They didn't want a dying Messiah. Today, I tell you today, don't be afraid of losing your life. Let me tell you today, our greatest, greatest danger around the world right now is not COVID-19. Shock horror. The greatest disease is called sin in this wicked and adulterous generation and it's pulling you away. Let me tell you today, be afraid not of losing your life, but rather of preserving it, keeping it, but in the end, coming face to face with your maker and him saying, is that all you've got? We will see our maker one day. For some, it may be sooner than we think. The end is coming, and we gotta be ready to face them. Today I wanna to tell you about a hero of mine, Richard Baxter, a Puritan preacher who I love his writings, a man who, uh, who preached with fire in his bones, a man who preached with spit on his beard and, and was not afraid to confront the religious elite of his day. But he was also a man with deep sickness, physical sickness in his body. They, one writer said that he had, had every sickness known to mankind, that his blood was putrid with disease. So much so that he would preach and then go and lie on his bed at home and recover until he was called again to preach again. But the people hated him so much, the elite, elite of the day, that they slowly would remove his things out of his home to try and disqualify him. They even at one time, the sheriff walked in, he was so sick, lifted him off his sick bed, put him on the cold floor to take his bed out from underneath him. And yet the story goes that he got up from that place and went and preached. And the line that he said on the back of that was this one line. He says, I preach as a dying man to dying men. Today I come to you with fire in my bones. 
to preach to you as a dying man, aware of my mortality, but wanting to remind you, remind you of your own mortality, that one day in the end, we'll come face to face with Almighty God. In the end, He's coming and He says, actually, if you're willing to pay the price on this side, let me tell you, on the other end, in the end, there is joy eternal. Let me tell you this. In the end, Jesus says in that scripture, Mark 8 says, but in the end, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. But in the end, he says, if you're not ashamed of me in this generation, I will not be ashamed of you on the day of glory. But in the end, he says, to enter into my joy. In the end, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. In the end, he'll say, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Let me tell you, in the end, God chooses the things that are foolish to shame the wise. In the end, God chooses the things that are weak to shame the powerful. In the end, God chooses the despised, the things counted as nothing, to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Let me tell you today, the things God chooses, the things that have come to their end, to use for His ends. Those people who say, I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. Not as a cheap tattoo, not as a cheap post, but a deep internal longing and beating of the heart. Today I preach to you. Maybe it feels like you're listening to this and maybe you've come to your end already. Maybe it feels like your world has collapsed around you. Maybe it feels you're at your end. You've given into your desires. You've lived for yourself your own pleasure and it's ruined you. Maybe you're sitting on the precipice of the end of your marriage. You're at the precipice of the end of your health, the end of your finances. You say, I've got nowhere else to go, Gabe. I'm done. I've sinned so badly. I don't know where to go. I found my end already. You're preaching to the converted. I'm already at my end and I don't know how to start. Let me tell you today, let me declare this. Because you're hearing these words, it's not the end. Because He still has mercy for you and I. His grace has not run out. If you have ears to hear today, if anyone wants to be my disciple, deny yourself and pick up your cross and come follow me, it is not the end. It is just the beginning. If we will hear his words today, there's a story in the Bible as I land of a man and a family whose daughter is really sick. And as she dies, as she's lying on her bed and she passes away, Jesus is delayed to getting there. But when he arrives at the, the, the door of this girl's house where she's dead on a bed, a young 12-year-old girl, the family and the, and the friends are weeping and wailing, declaring, she's done, it's the end, there's no more hope. If only you had come earlier, we might have had a chance, but it's done, we've reached the end. But Jesus walks into that situation and he says this thing, he says, she is not dead, she is only sleeping. It is not the end. It is not the end. When I walk into a dead situation, maybe there's desire in your heart. They desired for God to do something. They would have given up everything and denied themselves for her to live, but death had still come to that door. Let me tell you the good news. We have a Savior who looks death in the face and says, death, you are not the end. Sickness, you are not the end. Broken marriage, you are not the end. Brokenness, you are not the end. Divorce, you are not the end. Adultery, you are not the end. Financial shame, you are not the end. He said, it is not the end until I say it is the end. But today I want to declare that it is the end of us living for ourselves. It is the end of us living for cheap pleasure. It is the end for the church putting their head in the sands while the world goes to hell. It is the end of us because the church that finds itself at its end will be a church that will be used till the end. 
We want to be those type of people because Jesus walks into that room. He tells all the other people, the naysayers, get out. He pushes them out the room. Get out, get out. And you and I need to do that today. We need to say, get out to all these external pleasures, external voices that are crying out different words. Just get out, get out. And he looks at that girl and he speaks these words, Talitha Kuhum, little girl, get up. And I declare that to your situation right now. Little girl, get up. Little man, get up. Little story, get up. In your home, get up. Get up, get up. Because it is not the end. He is not done. Because God's mercy reaches us today. I want to pray for us today. As we land this moment together. That I really confidence in this message. Not because we are a people with big bravado. That we can make great decisions. Because our decisions often fail us. But we do have a Savior. The Savior that calls us is the Savior that redeems us, is the Savior that supplies for us, because we have a Savior who desires us, who wants us, who longs for us, whose eyes have not left us. We have a Savior who serves us, who goes lower and takes on the nature of a servant, and ultimately we have a Savior who died for us, who died in our place, so we could hear these words and respond. So Father, right now, I thank you, Father God, I declare an end to brokenness, an end to sinful living, an end to pleasure seeking, an end to living for our own devices, an end to selfish ambition, an end to living for smallness, an end to living in apathy, an end to lukewarm living. I thank you, Father God, awaken a new desire in your church, in this crooked and depraved generation, in this adulterous generation. I thank you, Father God, a new breed of believers are rising up, a new breed of people who say that they're no longer I who live, but Christ in me, a new breed of believers. You say, I've got to the end of myself and I want to live for His glory. A new breed of believers who say that they're saying, God, you must become greater. I must become less and less and less. And I thank you, Father, as you do this by your Spirit, putting new desires in our hearts, as we respond by crucifying the flesh and denying ourselves and picking up our cross to follow you. I thank you, Father God, we declare, but in the end, our God is for us. But in the end, our God is with us. But in the end, our God will redeem us. But in the end, our God will have the final say. I pray this over your people. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Why don't you type that in the chat today? But in the end, if you are saying, I'm declaring a new end to my story, I'm declaring a new day of my story, right? But in the end in the chat, and let's stir our hearts in faith. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.